The homilies or sermons contained in these podcasts were delivered by Deacon Joe Dietz, a permanent deacon serving at St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio, a parish of the Diocese of Cleveland. Each homily is preceded by a reading of the Gospel of the Day. While these homilies are the same in content as those preached, they have been recreated to improve the sound quality of the podcast. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. After he had fed the people, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and proceed him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter and said to him, O you of little faith, Why did you doubt? After they got into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. As I reflected on today's Gospel reading, one of the three versions of the well-known story of Jesus walking on the water, I found myself asking two questions. One, do I appreciate the challenges that come my way may well be opportunities allowed by God through which I can turn to him and grow in faith and love from the experience? And two, when I do turn to God in times of need, do I evaluate his response based on my frame of reference instead of his. The first question arose as I thought about the fact that Jesus tells the apostles to go out into the boat and creates the situation in which they are at sea and they are on their own struggling against the heavy waves and wind which is against them. Then suddenly, as if a ghost, here comes Jesus walking towards them on top of the water. If he doesn't send them ahead alone into rough seas, he doesn't have the opportunity to walk on the water to come to them in their need and give them this great witness as to his divinity. As they testify by their statement, truly you are the Son of God. In addition, while Jesus is walking on the water, Peter says, tell me to come to you if it's you. And Jesus doesn't miss this opportunity by saying, no, Peter, just stay in the boat. You don't really have the faith for this act. No, he tells him, come. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. Peter is going to take a few steps in faith, and then the wind and the waves are going to get into his head, and down he will go. But knowing this, Jesus invites him out onto the water anyway, allows the situation to develop where Peter is sinking, and then Jesus rescues him, 
reaches out his hand and gets him to the boat. The seas, the wind calm down, and all is good. Jesus allowed these situations to happen where the apostles chose to turn to him in faith and trust. And if we can see such challenges in our own lives as opportunities for growing in faith, then we must ask, are we truly taking advantage of these opportunities? How many times have we been met with a challenge, a perceived crisis, a great need, and we have prayed about it, and after receiving a favorable outcome, we just focused on the good result and not on the underlying message? It's really easy in this case for the apostles to be focused on the fact that Jesus walked on the water, the wind and the sea died down, and they are safe. But the underlying message is not only that he is God, but that he was there for them and that he is here for us. A God who is attentive to us, who loves us, and who will respond to our needs if we turn them over to him in faith. If we surrender, if we trust, he is there. I have to admit, at times when my prayers have been answered, I have simply focused on the result and not the deeper meaning. It is so easy if something we are praying for goes well. We get the job. We get the house. Someone recovers from illness. We pass the test. Whatever it might be, we get excited or relieved by the outcome. We say, oh, thank God. Praise the Lord. Let's give God the credit. But then that's it. Lord, here is your thanks, but now I will go back to my life as it was. It doesn't change our lives. The outgrowth of that experience doesn't cause us to be less anxious, to trust God more, to turn things over to him, to incorporate him into every aspect of our lives. We are happy about the result, and then we move on as we were before. We may have a slight attitude change for a short time, but most often it is returned to business as usual. Most events in our lives where God acts aren't as dramatic as Jesus walking on the water. But nonetheless, it is easy post-need to think, well, things turned out the way they were going to anyway. Even though we prayed and we thank God for the outcome, it doesn't really change us. What a shame to miss those opportunities God takes to show how he loves and cares for us and how he wants to change our lives, plagued by uncertainty and fear, into lives of safety and security, at peace in his love and care. Which brings us to the second question. When we pray, do we judge the outcome of a situation we are praying about based on our worldly frame of reference rather than God's eternal one? One of the things that got me thinking about this was our celebration of the Feast of the Transfiguration, which took place this past Thursday. As you may recall, in the Transfiguration, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain, and there, before their eyes, he became glorious in his appearance, dazzling white. But in addition, he was also seen in the company of Moses and Elijah who were seen by the apostles speaking with him. And it says in the account in Luke's gospel, they also appeared in glory. Now I mention this because the way that Moses' earthly story ended has always troubled me. 
If you remember, at one point, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, escaped from Pharaoh, he received the law, and then for a lengthy time, he led them around the desert. There came a time when they needed water badly, and God told Moses to strike the rock with the staff and water would come out of it. And when Moses struck the rock, instead of striking it once and trusting God to come through, Moses, in an apparent moment of doubt, struck the rock twice. And while the water did flow out, God told Moses that because he doubted and struck the rock twice, Moses would not be the one to lead the people into the promised land. And sure enough, before they crossed into the promised land, God took Moses up on a high mountain where he showed him the promised land at a distance, and then Moses died. And Joshua, in fact, took over and led them from that point on. So, you know, looking from my human perspective, I always kind of thought that that was a harsh penalty for simply one staff strike too many. I mean, to my way of thinking, after all Moses had done and put up with, all the complaints, the rebellion, all those difficulties, for him not to be allowed to finish the job and get into the promised land seemed unfair. But when I read about Moses' presence in the transfiguration, his talking with Jesus, also in a somewhat glorious state, clearly in a very good place. It occurred to me that I had been thinking like a human being and not like God. Surprise. Moses' earlier than anticipated death was not a denial of the promised land, but it was an earlier entry into the true promised land, that of eternal life with God our Father in heaven. God taking him home away from that complaining, rebellious, demanding group, and into the heavenly presence that once realized was no doubt the best day of Moses' existence. Where exactly is the promised land for us? Is it that house, that promotion, that college admission, that retirement life, that earthly thing that we think it is? Is not our promised land eternal life in heaven with God? Isn't that the place where we want to be? Well, that is where Moses got to go, right? Moses is in this vision with Jesus and Elijah, glorified in a heavenly realm. It is portrayed as God's discipline, but I don't know. It sounds like early reward to me. So, too, do we need to look at things not with our earthly perspective, but with a heavenly perspective that comes from a life of faith. To trust God and say to him, even in the hand that strikes me, I kiss your hand, which heals. We have to see that if we are people of faith, if we surrender our lives to God, then whatever outcome comes, it is part of God's plan for us part of his plan for us to trust him, part of his plan for us to repent, to give, to love, and grow in our faithfulness to him. God may allow circumstances in which we have to turn to him for the purpose of teaching us to trust and rely on him. When we do, he responds according to his will, according to his goal for our lives, not ours. As we look at today's gospel, let our conclusion not be simply that Jesus walked on water so he must be God. Let it be that Jesus walked on water 
and does all the other things he does for us as a means of increasing our faith, bringing us to know him as God, so that we will turn to him in all things, in confidence, in faith, and in trust that he will provide for us as needed. We teach in the church that what the Bible says is true with regard to what is needed for our salvation. Well, in the same sense that the Bible, the Word of God, is true in terms of what we need for salvation, so too is Jesus, the Word of God, the Lamb of God, true in His relationship with us in providing, drawing, calling, encouraging, prompting, and directing us toward what is necessary for us to achieve eternal life because he desires nothing more than for us to have eternal life with him in heaven. That was what we were created for. That is why we exist. We were not created to find the promised land in this world. We were created to get through our struggle in this world, as did Moses, as did Peter, and find the true promised land with him in the next. For questions or comments on this podcast, email deaconjoe2017 at gmail.com.